taking up the offering. It's like I'm, I'm dreaming. <laughs> Somebody pinch me. Okay. What a beautiful time of the year, isn't it? I love this. I know we, nobody knows the exact time when Jesus was born. It doesn't matter. The fact is we set aside a specific time of the year to celebrate the great event when God was manifest in the flesh. God became one of us and lived amongst us and died to save us. Beautiful, beautiful. I love this time of the year. Well, I, as you can see, the title this morning of what I want to share is Prince of Peace. That, as you know, is a title that was given to Jesus. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the first coming of Jesus. Every one of them was fulfilled. That's just another way that we know the Bible is the Word of God, inspired by God. Things that were written hundreds, even thousands of years before he was born, all coming to pass, every one of them. Now we're going to look at one of those, one of the prophets that spoke quite a lot about the coming of Jesus was Isaiah. And uh, this is what he said. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Let's just stop there for a moment. Unto us a child is born. That's the humanity of Jesus. That's when Jesus became Jesus at Bethlehem, the beginning of the humanity of Jesus. Unto us a child is born. But unto us a son is given. The son always existed with the father. Co-equal, co-eternal. The deity of Christ. So we have the humanity and the deity of Christ in one person. Isn't that beautiful? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Now I could spend a sermon on every one of those, but this morning we're going to look at Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And wow, we need peace, don't we? We need peace. The word peace actually occurs over 400 times in the Bible and in every New Testament book except for 1 John. That's impressive, isn't it? So peace is a major theme throughout the Bible. But what is peace? The word peace is from the Hebrew word shalom, uh, which we get the name Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city of peace. Okay. Um, when David defeated all those enemies around him that wanted to destroy Israel, he established peace and his son was called Solomon. Also from the same root as shalom, Solomon, meaning peace. And he, he reigned in peace one of the very few Israelite kings to have a reign of peace. But shalom doesn't just mean the absence of hostilities, but wholeness in every part. It, it, it addresses every area of our lives and, and brings harmony and wholeness to us. It's a beautiful word. But peace is not so much a something as a someone. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, which we'll look at a little bit more in a moment, we read that Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Now, how are we to understand that? I believe that we need to understand this subject of peace in three aspects, beginning with peace with God. We find peace with God. There is something that broke our fellowship with God, and that's called sin. And God hates sin. 
God hates sin with his whole being. And he has to respond to it in, in judgment. Otherwise, he would deny himself. He would deny who he is. He would cease to be God as we know him. And so he has to respond. But the problem is that the sin is committed by people who are called sinners. Okay? Now, most people do not like to see themselves as sinners. We think sinners are the people in prison. Okay? The ones that do really bad things like murder, um, uh, drug you know, drug crimes and uh, violent crimes and rape and all that sort of thing. They're sinners, but we are not. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that sin is something we've all committed. It's basically breaking with God. It's, it's believing the first lie that the serpent told Eve. You don't need God, you can be God. So to, to cut ourselves off from God and to live as if he did not exist when everything we are experiencing on this earth and in this world, he gave us. We're dependent on him for every provision, even our next breath. And yet to live without him, that's sin. Sin is, this is what Augustine said, sin is believing the lie that we are self-created, self-dependent and self-sustained. We have all chosen to live without him and walk in our own ways. And the Bible says all have sinned, whether you're in prison or out of prison, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I like to illustrate it this way. Um, just imagine a couple of men walking up a, a mountain and all of a sudden the volcano erupts and this hot lava begins to rush down the side of the mountain. And these two men, uh, one's an older man and one's a younger man, they're trying to get, escape this hot la lava, burning lava. And they come to this place where they're, they're, they're trapped and, and there's a, a, like a river of lava 10 metres wide. The only way they can escape is to jump across to the other side. Do you know what the record is for long jump, by the way? Of course you don't. <laughs> it's 8.9 metres. All right? So this river is 12 metres. All right? 8.9 metres. So the older guy tries to jump across and he gets three meters across and ends up in the burning lava. The younger man takes a long run and a jump and he gets six meters across. What is the result? It's the same. They've both fallen short of getting to the other side. Doesn't matter how much you missed it by, you missed it, we're both in the same situation. Or, or another way I like to describe it is, um, imagine you know, somebody turns up to, to catch a bus and he just arrives at the bus stop and there's a man standing there. He says, excuse me, has the nine o'clock bus been yet? He says, what are you talking about? It's 9.40. That bus left a long time ago. You've missed it. So he feels a bit embarrassed, you know. And uh, then after a while, he says to the other guy, he says, what, what are you doing standing here? He said, well, I, I missed it by five minutes. He said, not as bad as you, though. <laughs> and the guy says, same result. We're both standing here. <laughs> We've both fallen short. That's the situation we're all in. But then we come to the good news of the gospel. When we talk about peace with God, is that the gospel is good news and that Jesus is the Prince of Peace because the Bible says, Isaiah, coming back to Isaiah again, the chastisement or the judgment for our peace was upon him. That's what you can, you cannot get any greater love than that. You know, we were talking about. Um, soccer because um, uh, Shay's an Arsenal fan and I'm a Liverpool fan and they're number one and two in the Premier League and as it happened while they're here 
they were playing each other this morning. <coughs> playing each other. What are the chances of that happening? One and two, playing each other this morning. And uh, they were a joy. In case you're wondering, they drew. So we're, we're still friends. You know, we're still <laughs> okay with each other. But um, the Liverpool manager is a Christian. Jurgen Klopp, a German guy. He's a Christian. And he was interviewed once. And I, I remember seeing this. He said... The, the guy asked him, do you have any heroes in life? Who's your hero? And straight away, he said, oh, Jesus Christ. He said, why is that? He said, well, if anyone would die for me, why wouldn't he be my hero? Who would die for me? He died for me. You know, great witness and testimony. And, and that's what Jesus did. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. All our sin, all our sin, whether it's big sin, small sin, every sin, past, present, future, laid upon him, and he received the just judgment of God so that his holiness could be upheld and, 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 and God could be at peace with us. So actually God is reconciled to the world. A lot of Christians don't understand that. They think that God is angry with the world. He's not angry with the world. God got even at the cross, if I can put it that way. God's justice was fulfilled at the cross. God loves the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen? So the gospel now is an invitation for us to be reconciled to him. It's not an issue of will God be reconciled to us. He is reconciled. The Bible says that very clearly. He's reconciled to the world. The gospel is an invitation now to people. Will you remain his enemy? You know, allow this rift to, to remain between you and God? Or will you be reconciled? This is what Paul says. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation which we call the gospel that's the gospel now then we are ambassadors for christ as though god were pleading through us we implore you on christ's behalf be reconciled to god that's the gospel amen there's someone here and you're not reconciled to god believe what jesus did for you and receive it and you're reconciled to God become his friend don't remain his enemy so it's like I am an ambassador right now pleading anybody's watching on YouTube or or live on Facebook live I'm an ambassador at this moment representing God it's not my message I'm not representing myself representing him as I, as if God was pleading through me be reconciled to God say yes to Jesus that's all it is Amen. And when that happens, the Bible says that he imputes his righteousness to us and we are righteous in his sight. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the start of, of, of you know, the Prince of Peace. That's the first thing is that we, we make our peace with God through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we can experience peace within. Peace within. I've told this story before, but I, I'll tell it again because I, I love the story. It's a story that uh, took place at the end of, towards the end of World War II. You know, the, the, the war dragged on for so long and people were tired of it. And in America, they announced a competition for artists to draw a painting that really spoke of peace because everybody craved peace 
And of course, there were lots of entries, you know, the usual things, um, beautiful pastoral settings with cattle grazing and, you know, in the pastures and everything still, beautiful sunsets or a calm lake, you know, just all these kind of typical paintings that we associate with peace. None of them wanted. You know what wanted? This guy painted a picture of a raging storm through this narrow valley. And, and, and to the left, this water that had come down, just emptied like this, you know, cyclone we've just had, poured over the, 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 the rock face, like big waterfall coming down, crashing down. And the sky was black with, with thick clouds, thunder clouds, lightning streaking across the sky and uh, the wind howling through the valley. And on the cliff face was a small shrub tree that had come out of the, the, the rock. And uh, you know, some of the branches had been blown off, but on one branch, there was a bird, a little bird, and his head was up in the sky like it was defiant against the storm, chirping away. That's peace. That's peace. Peace is not deliverance from stressful circumstances. I mean, I think if you can cut out as many stressful circumstances in your life, do it. But we cannot cut out every stressful circumstance from our life. But it's the ability in the midst of those storms to stand composed like that little bird with your head defiant and saying, it's okay, it's cool. I have peace within. And Christians and non-Christians have the same problems, but we have the peace of God in the midst of turmoil. Um, I remember preaching once on, on you know, storms and saying that sometimes God allows storms to come into our lives. And this guy said to me, no, he doesn't do that. God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't allow storms. Well, who's in control then? So read the Bible. Paul, was in, Paul said, three times I've been shipwrecked. <laughs> three times I've been shipwrecked. Right, And you can read about one of those, I think it's in Acts chapter 27. It went on for days and days and days and it was a horrendous. But Paul, in the midst of that storm, was the one who was in perfect control. He could, took control of the boat, the captain lost the plot, everyone else lost the plot, everyone wanted to kill one another. Paul had incredible composure and, and took charge of the situation. He had peace in the midst of the storm. What about Jesus? Jesus was asleep in the boat during a storm. You remember that? And the disciples were, 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 were really freaking out and they were saying, Lord, don't you care? We're going to perish. We're going to die. We're all going to die. But he, he just rebuked them and then he rebuked the storm. See, he had something that the disciples did not have, peace. But he gave that to them and to us. He gave it to us. Let's look at what he says here. He bequeathed his peace to us. He said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He gave us his peace. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit. It's something, you know, you, when people tell you to stop worrying and don't be anxious, you can't just turn off emotions like that, but you can experience and receive the peace of God within you. Inward peace triumphs over outward circumstances. It defies analysis. In fact, doesn't the Bible say it's the peace that passes all understanding? 
when you're going through a difficult time and, and you've got it all together and people say, can't understand you. Why aren't you, you know, flipping out? Why, why, why aren't you in turmoil? Because we have the peace of God. Jesus gave us something. It's called the peace of God. Now, the peace of God will do three things for us. First of all, inner peace promotes physical or outer health. I'm a strong believer in this. Um, I, I once read, and, and, and I think I wrote it, that um, one doctor said that 70% of illnesses are psychosomatic, which means the state of the mind affects the health of the body. So you can, you, and I'm a, I'm a great believer also in just you know eating healthy as much as you can. Okay, we'll make a bit of an exception over Christmas time. But uh, generally speaking, eat as healthy as you can. But you can deal with that stuff and still be sick if there's inner turmoil that's long-term, that's prolonged. Because eventually it will impact the body. And, and then, you know, that's why I wrote that book, um, What's Eating You? It's not what you eat that's making you sick, but what's eating you? And by some strange coincidence, we have a couple of copies on the table this morning. <laughs> you haven't got that. Very good. <laughs> but seriously, inner peace will promote physical health. God always works from the inside out. Man works from the outside in. God starts with the inside out. Everything flows out from within us. But secondly, it will guard, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. This is what Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. He said, The peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word guard is the Greek word forero, forerio, sorry. It means to mount a guard as a sentry, to hem in or protect. So a sentry is there to prevent entry. Right? You think about it, it's the Garda city and, and to just be careful about what it allows into the city. Is it going to be harmful? Is it going to be detrimental to the citizens or is it going to be helpful? So a sentry keeps guard and, and the peace of God is like that. You know, I, I'm going to admit, I used to be a, a news addict. I used to watch about three lots of news every day. It's so depressing, you know? And, and uh, you know, it's like it's all bad news and then right at the end, it's almost like the newscaster feels guilty about <laughs> dumping so much on us. And so they tell a nice little story about a little kitten that was rescued from a drain pipe or something. And they went, oh, I feel so good now, you know. Um, but then I realized, do I need all this stuff? Do I need to know all the things that are, it's almost like these are all the things that are going wrong in the world today. And remember, this could happen to you or someone you love. That's the news. Right? And so all of a sudden I'm thinking, you know what, I don't need all this stuff coming into my life. The peace of God will stop those things coming in that should not come in, that should not enter your life. Um, even even on, on, on the internet, you, you can watch stuff and, you know, get in like this court case. You, you, you get involved in other people's business. And uh, then you start getting angry because of injustice and so on about this. And you think, is this my problem? So I say, like the Lord said to me, if it's not your business, don't make it your business. Yes. Amen? 
And if people come into your life and they want to dump on you, if it's not your problem, don't let it be your problem. The peace of God will act like a sentry, a guard, to watch over your life so that it will keep your heart and mind. Keeps us from going crazy. The peace of God. But also it will rule in our hearts. That's another thing. Paul says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that word rule means to act like an umpire, to overrule, to arbitrate, and, and, and to direct us in our decision making. Now, I've used this illustration before, but it's a good illustration because it really clearly illustrates what this word means. You know, in a game like, um, okay, like soccer, okay, sometimes the ball goes so fast and it goes on the line, the sideline, but did it go this side or did it go that side? And so you've got linesmen that have to make a call. They say, in or out? That ball was in or it was out? And you've even got video, VAR. You can replays and see whether you got it correct. But that's, that's, the, that's the idea, is to make a call on something. And, and, and you know, when you pray about something, as a Christian, you pray about something, a decision you've got to make, a step you've got to take, there is this wonderful thing called the peace of God. You pray about something, Lord, should I do this? Should I go there? Should I make that decision? If it's right, it's like the peace of God descends upon you and you feel right about it. It's tangible. It's real. If it's not God's will, then that peace of God will lift and you feel agitated. You feel like, I don't feel right about that somehow. That's the peace of God. And so when we have peace with God, we can enjoy and experience the peace of God. But then lastly, there's peace with others. Now, for those who believe in evolution, which is probably no one here, but, you know, the the, the world is getting better, you know, society is improving. It's not. It might be technologically improving, but in terms of morality, it's getting worse. Here is a list of the wars in the last century. And, and I'm not going to go through all those guys. We don't be depressed this morning, but there's just some of them there, and there's some more there. <laughs> and there's some that are not there, like the, the, the war in Ukraine and the current war between uh, you know, Hamas and Israel. And, and, and you know, we can talk a lot about those, but in the last hundred years, we've had two world wars. That's the mess our, our world is in. You know, so this message of Christmas his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. And, and, you know, the angels announced peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? Where is that? Where is that? Peace on earth. Okay, I want to talk about the ideal and the real. The ideal and the real. What do I mean by that? Um, you know, there's a lot of people that wave banners and, you know, peace, peace and, and so on. That's the ideal. Yeah. But in the real world, you've got people who want peace, but don't understand that actually, as it says there, if we want to change the world, it starts with ourselves. Amen. There's a lot of people that want peace, but are not living in peace. I think the world should be at peace. We'll start here. Okay, uh, the Beatles sang a song, all you need is love. That's right, that's it, that's it. All you need is love, but then they broke up. <laughs> they couldn't get on with each other. That's another story. 
But that's so typical. It's like, out there, we need peace. You lot, stop it. Be at peace. But it starts here. It starts at home. And so, if we want to change the world, we need to start with ourselves. But we, we know we can't change ourselves. But Jesus can. Jesus can. Especially when it comes to this area of being at peace with others. We can't. But he can. He's the Prince of Peace. And he can help us to love those we find unlovely, to forgive past hurts and offences, and even reconcile with those we have age-long conflicts with. He, how does he do that? He removes barriers which separate people. But you, this is the, the, the key to it all. First is the, the, the vertical barrier, the barrier between us with God. It starts with peace with God. And when people have peace with God, then they can experience the horizontal peace. Amen. Like the cross had two, two bars or beams, the vertical and the horizontal. And Jesus brought peace with God and, and he enables us to have peace with others. He's the key. He's the key. Here's an example. Back in the days when the New Testament was written, there was an incredible, incredible, it's hard to explain it, hostility between Jew and Gentile. You know, one rabbi wrote, just to give you an example, one rabbi wrote that the Gentiles, and that's us by the way, a Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew, the Gentiles were created to be fuel for the fires of hell. Thank you very much. I'm glad I have some purpose in life. <laughs> Okay, and, 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 if, and if a Jew married a Gentile, the family of the Jew would carry out a funeral service for him. So my son is now dead. We're having a, a burial service for him today. Carry out a mock funeral service. Cut him off, he's as good as dead. And if, and if a, a Gentile woman was uh, about to give birth and, and, and there was a midwife there, they would say, they would say do not assist that lady in giving birth because you're bringing another Gentile into the world. I can give you many examples, but that was the kind of thing. But it's not just with Jews and Gentiles. Now, some, some Gentiles wanted to convert to Judaism because they believed that, you know, the God of the Jews was the, the one true God, which he is, the, the creator God. And so they wanted to convert, but, but they weren't encouraged. In fact, um, if you come to the temple, they had different courts. One was called, I think the first one was called the, the Court of the Gentiles. So they could come thus far, but no further. Can you see this thing of barriers now? Difference, distinction between you and us. There's enmity there. It, it, it kind of entrenches enmity. And um, in fact, there was a sign. There was a sign in that court that said, if any Gentile goes past this point, he will do so at the pain of death. So that's how, that's how deep the hostility was. And when Jesus came, the Bible says this, he himself is our peace who has made both Jew and Gentile one. And has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, 
thereby putting to death the enmity. Powerful. I remember when I was in um, uh, Israel, I was in a Palestinian church. I was preaching in a Palestinian church. And in that service, there were about eight or nine Jewish guys that had come into the service and they called them to the front and they embraced them as these are our brothers in Christ. And, and they prayed for one another. It's beautiful. That's the only answer to the, the situation in Palestine or anywhere. And, and the reason is this, that first of all, we're reconciled to God. And when we're reconciled to God, we understand. In fact, if I have a problem forgiving someone, this is what I do. I always go back to this. Remember how much God has forgiven me. Everything. Everything. There's no comparison. Like so, so this little offence over here, it is so puny, so tiny, so insignificant in comparison to the greatness of God's grace and mercy and love. And so it's easy for me then to forgive and to, to be reconciled because he's forgiven me everything. Now, it took the Jews a while, the Jews who became Christians, because all the first Jews were Christian, the first, sorry, the first Christians were Jews, took the Jews a while to, to break free of that enmity and that mindset that had gone on for centuries. And you remember when God saved the first Gentiles, Cornelius and his household, he was going to send Peter to preach the gospel to them. Peter had to have a vision from heaven. God gave him a vision. And he saw this blanket with unclean animals coming down, like pork. <coughs> And prawns. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not a Jew? Which were forbidden, right? They were on this, and, and the voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter thought it was a trick. He said, No way, Lord. You're not going to get me on that one. I know that's wrong. And then God rebuked him. He said, What I have cleansed, do not call that unclean. Happened three times. Because Peter was a little bit slow. Okay, and then after the third time, a knock at the door, and who was there? This servant from Cornelius' house, saying, God has sent us to ask for a man called Peter because you've got something to tell us. We need to know. And if Peter did not get that revelation, he would not have gone. But he went and, 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 and even went inside a Gentile house, which was forbidden under Jewish law, and... Uh, preached the gospel to them and they all received Jesus. And then when, when Peter explained that at the Council of Jerusalem, he said this, I love this word, he said, God made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they, one way for all of us. We're all now on the same level. All the barriers are removed. Whatever barriers may have existed, they've all been removed. Age, race, class, you can, you can, whatever barrier you may think in society, in Christ, they've all been removed. I remember when I was pastoring down at um, Brunswick Heads, we had this, uh, we had this uh, couple come in, a beautiful couple, and uh, they were very, very successful in Amway. I mean very successful. You all know Amway? I can sign you up after if you know. 
Um, and, and, and they had, they had, if you understand the business, four diamonds underneath them. And so they, they, the money was pouring into their account every week. They, they sponsored, um, I think it was 120 children every, every month, sponsored, you know, just with child sponsorship. A quarter of our church's income came from that couple. I remember after the service, because we hired a hall down there at Brunswick Heads, and after the service, I'm, I'm standing talking to someone, and in the corner of my eye, I see this guy, okay, who speaks before thousands of people, you know, really big earning people, pushing the broom, helping to clean up the hall. See, this is it in Christ, we're all the same. There's no distinction, there's no levels, there's nothing that, that can make one better than the other. The righteousness that we have is the same because it's his righteousness imputed to us. Amen? His righteousness imputed to us. So whether you've been saved four weeks or 40 years, everyone is as righteous as the next person because it's his righteousness that's been given to us. So the, con the distinctions contained in the law or in anything are destroyed and there, there is only one way for all. No one can claim special righteousness. As Paul says to Gal the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus breaks the barriers. Now, Christ has created a new body of people, not based on law, but on grace. In other words, not based on what you do. If it's based on what you do, you might feel, well, I'm now better than that person because I did more than them. It's not based on what, it's based on what he did. The church is a new creation, not a coalition of two existing parties, Jew and Gentile, but the creation of something altogether new. The Gentile doesn't have to become a Jew. I wish some Christians got that. The Gentile does not have to become a Jew, and the Jew doesn't have to become a Gentile. Both enter into the new man, a new identity in Christ. Boast in him and all distinctions will fade away. Now, when I talk about um, peace with others, I don't want anybody to be condemned. I know, I know, I know that in, in the practicalities of life, the ideal is never the real. We want everyone to get on with us and to like us and to be at peace with us, and that doesn't happen, okay, for every one of us. Try as you may. But, so Paul says this, this is very practical. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, okay? So that is what we call a non-absolute. There are absolutes in the Christian life, we must forgive everyone. We must love everyone, even your enemies, amen? But can you be at peace with everyone? Well, that, that involves two parties. You, it's not all dependent on you. You can reach out and try to be at peace, but if the other person doesn't want peace, that's what we call a non-absolute. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Something over which you do not have complete control. It is a conditional thing. It depends on the actions and the attitude of others. Paul says we must do all in our power to be at peace with others, yet he recognises uh, that in some cases that will not be possible as others will not permit it. Okay. Let's finish up then. We'll talk about peace on earth. Because we know, we know, 
In fact, let me just say this. Anybody see the, the, the movie Oppenheimer? Yes. Oppenheimer? It's quite, a, quite an eye-opener. It's, um, it's about um, you know, nuclear power and, and, and its, its capability. Einstein discovered it, you know, splitting the atom, but he never intended it to be used to destroy life, but for the benefit of life. And he never intended it to be used for warfare. And um, that's my position. I went along to watching the movie and said, yeah, I'm with Einstein. But you know, when I came out of the movie, I'm thinking, you know what? It kind of had to be created. Had to be created. And the reason I say it is this, is because, okay, talk about sides. If one side didn't make it, the other side would and would destroy them. That was the, the in fact, the only time it was used is, is when one side had it, when the Americans bomb the Japanese, right? And so it's like there, you nuke me and I'll nuke you. They both have to have it to, to, to be equal. This is in a fallen world I'm talking about, not in the ideal world. This is the world we're living in. This is the sad world we're living in. We've just seen all the world wars that there have been in the last century. Doesn't matter how much people wave banners and have come up with the ideal. This is the world we're living in. But we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when he comes, he will bring world peace. He will really bring world peace. It's not a pipe dream. He will bring it. Come back to our verse. There will be peace on earth because for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and this is the key, and the government, world government, will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful <coughs> Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's not a temporary peace. It's not a, it's not a you know, a, a short, short-lived peace. There will be no end. When Jesus reigns on the earth, there will be, this is our hope. This is our hope. It's not that we, we don't hope, that, you know, but how long have people been talking peace in the United Nations and peace treaties and so on, and it makes not a scrap of difference. We know that. Because, first of all, people need to be reconciled to God. And when Jesus comes back, we know that that's the time when, when all those who do not want to be reconciled with God will be removed. Right? And there will be peace on earth. Jesus will reign over all the earth. The earth will be filled with the glory of God. And just to give you one last verse as we finish up, just to give you a little snapshot of that. I love this passage in the old prophet Micah. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, weapons of destruction will be now turned into weapons or instruments of agriculture. I mean, think of the trillions of dollars that are spent on, on armaments and military might. I think even, even in America, I think their, their budget is, is something like, um, uh, it's almost a trillion dollars. It's, it's, it's something like $900 billion a year they spend on armaments. They're always trying to improve out to the other side and so on. It's all going to end. It's all going to end. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train 
for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid for the Almighty, Lord Almighty has spoken and the Prince of Peace is reigning. You won't have to lock your door at night. You won't have to fear anything because the Prince of Peace is reigning. Amen. So, let's summarise. First of all, it begins with peace with God. Be reconciled to God. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And then let the peace of God come into your heart and, and, and govern you in the midst of the storms of life. And then enable you to live at peace with others. To live at peace with others. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We thank you that when he came 2,000 years ago and went to the cross, he made peace with God. He reconciled us to the Father. We thank you for the gospel, the good news, that is an invitation to be reconciled to him. Thank you that we responded to that and said yes to Jesus and put our trust in him and were born again. And we thank you, Lord, that we have experienced the peace of God in our hearts, knowing that you are in control and that you and your grace is always going to be sufficient for us in every situation. Thank you too, Lord, that we can walk in peace towards others. Even if they don't want to be at peace with us, we can still have peace in our hearts towards them and goodwill towards them. So bless us over this Christmas season, I pray, whatever we will be doing with families and loved ones, may we be as shining lights in the midst of our families and those situations, giving good news and great hope to those around us. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen.